Hey folks, welcome to episode 4 of Down It Presents Another Podcast with me your host Phil Morton. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, before we start, I just want to do a massive shout out and say thank you to everyone who has donated so far uh, and helping me get some new audio equipment for doing this podcast. It means the world to me. Of course, you can like, share, follow, review and donate via the PayPal link on all the streaming services, podcasts, on Apple, Spotify, everything like that. I've not been up to terribly much this week. It's just another week of lockdown, getting ready to go back to work. I have been listening to my friends The Burnt Tapes quite a bit. A really awesome band from Down South. Their album Never or Better came out last year. It's an incredible piece of work. They brought out a new single recently called Greekwood. It's really great. Check them out. They are a really awesome band. This week on the show, I've got Jamie from Ariel Salad. Ariel Salad are from Down in Manchester, a great punk band who have been on the scene for a while now. They brought out the album Roach a couple of years ago, which was awesome. Really great punk rock songs. They just released their second album, Dirt Mall, a couple months ago. Again, an advancement on what they did before, and it's really, really good. I really think everyone should check it out. We have an amazing conversation about the new album, about writing it, the differences between the two albums. We chat about Jamie's firm passion and belief in the band and how that advances his songwriting. We chat about his work with Alex from Wonkunit producing them, as well as some funny tour stories and weirdly how they got into human trafficking. It gets kind of weird and it's kind of funny one. But hey, enjoy. You think I like it, man, I can't deny it at all. Oh God, I'm beautiful. You think I like it, go ahead and try it. Whatever you've got, you know that I won't buy it. Cause I'm so lazy, I don't feel like moving Hey Jamie, how's it going? Thank you for joining me on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm very good, Phil. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I was saying, uh, wish it was under different circumstances, but it's all right. It could be worse. It could be far worse. We're still speaking to each other, so that's nice. It's nice, just nice to hear from you. I know, it's pretty beautiful. What uh, what have you been up to during lockdown? What are you missing most? I'm right. I'm weirdly missing work. Like sort of. Basically, I got let go from work because I'm a, a temp in between tours, and yeah, uh, it's all right. It was just annoying because I definitely could have done my job from home. They just didn't want the temps working from home, obviously because it, it, you know they were worried about how much money they were going to make. So I'm a bit annoyed in that sense. So I kind of miss having an income. That's the main thing. A steady one anyway. The the album sales is a bit like some days we'll make eighty quid and then we'll go two or three days. Back making anything yeah. but i've mainly been if i'm being honest i have been getting high a lot <laughs> that that's that has been quite a part of it but i have also been playing guitar for about six hours a day so that's been good i brought out an album as well and i um, have been constantly doing shit for that so actually it's been quite funny the lockdown has been a taste of what it would be like if I got salad to just be my job, which would be so nice. Which would be so nice. Which is a dream, you know. It is. It is. Do, do you know what? Honestly, it really doesn't. It doesn't feel impossible to earn 
because for me, if I was working four months a year, I would consider that doing the band full time. Yeah. We're, not, we're not that far away from that, to be honest. Well, we weren't privy to uh, COVID. Now it, now it might, might take a little bit longer, but we're, we're sort of getting there. So it's been a nice little taste, been a nice little taste. Are you finding it difficult releasing an album? Because Dark Mall came out, is it end of March? Uh, yeah, it came out the 27th, so it pretty much came out the day lockdown started for a lot of people. Are you finding it difficult kind of pushing a new album when you can't tour? in this sort of period and also obviously the income from the album is now kind of supplementing your own personal income as opposed to going back into the band and being able to tour to make more money sort of thing yeah it is shit I'm not gonna lie the problem is is because this hasn't this has never happened before has it right everyone keeps saying that it's unprecedented so we don't know how well the album release is going it's obviously going really well but it's like it could be going worse yeah it definitely could have gone worse but I definitely think it would have gone better because we, you know, we took quite a lot of last year off from touring so that when we released this album and we went on tour, the gigs were busy. We had a month of touring lined up, one three-week tour with Decent Criminal and then 10 days with Snuff. So that is, we would have sold albums then. But, you know, people have bought them, but you're right about it supplementing my own income. So we, we, we've we sold loads and it's been amazing. It's quite overwhelming, actually. It's very lovely. But the problem is, is, you know, you sat there with like two grand in your PayPal and it's like, oh, sick. Yeah, I can fucking, I can well survive lockdown. But then it's like, ah, yeah. But we're gonna sell out of albums, and it's like, once we sell out of albums, then not only have I got any, I've not got any income, but then also I've got to buy more albums, and they're not very cheap. Oh, they're not very cheap. Yeah, and then there's a problem of everyone that's got the albums already got it. So when you go on tour, a lot of these people are already gonna have the album. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. But. It's one of them. It's like it's not. It's not too bad. I think the thing is, is that everyone's in the same boat in it. Yeah. So you've just got to. You just got to kind of ride it out. I'm glad we brought it out because. Well, I don't know, actually. Well, yeah, yeah, I am glad we brought it out. I'm glad we brought it out because it's given me something to do over lockdown. I think if we'd not brought it out and if we'd gone like, right, if you've pre-ordered it, we'll send it you, but we're not going to bring it out on Spotify or anything. Yeah. If we'd done that, I'd have just been bored. You know, it's... It, it, it's uh, yeah, it's had a, it's had a bit of radio play in that, so that was good. The promoting side of it was was sound because we sorted that all out pre lockdown. I was going to say, has there been a difference to the way you've been promoting it? Because obviously you're not touring it and uh, getting it in as many people's sort of uh, faces live as you can. Well, we paid for press, which was all done before the album, but then since it came out and the lockdown started, we've uh, we, we we just thought, do you know what, fuck it, because we'd saved up money to tour, because, you know, inevitably you're going to lose a bit. We just put 400 quid into a plugger, and we got played on Radio X, and I was like, safe. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, safe. <laughs> I was like, that sound investment. Mate, it's, mate, honestly, the music industry is the most bollocks thing in the world. Like, you, well, it's not bollocks, it's great. I mean, it, you know, Danny, the guy who uh, we did, is, is sound like, you know, he's a fucking really good guy. But it's just so funny that we spent, you know, we spent all these years going, ah, fuck. It's like, how'd you get on the radio? How do we do that? And then it's like, Oh, I just give a guy four hundred quid. I'm safe. All right. Kind of like you spend so many years as a DIY band, refusing and and trying your best not to play like pay to play shows and the fucking selling ticket sales sort of shows, just for then at the end of it to take the next step by paying yeah. someone a load of money to get you played. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking backwards, mate. Honestly, that do you know what, Phil? That's a very solid bit of truth. I've never really thought about it like that because we. I remember our third gig we played at twelve o'clock in the afternoon at the Starring Gallery, like an all-day punk, uh, like just a DIY all-dayer. Yeah. And we were so buzzing that it wasn't a pay-to-play gig and it was a punk gig. And there was no one there, but 
but we were just so happy not to be doing a pay to play and now we've done the ultimate one but it was like it was one of them i don't know it's like we because we believe in the songs and uh you know i'm not religious uh so i don't I, you know i've not been brought up religious yeah. so belief's quite an interesting thing i think if you're brought up religious you have an instilled understanding of what it is to believe in something you know you believe in a deity you believe in faith I believe in the songs. I just believe that they're good. Like, I'm not, I'm, they're not the best songs ever written and they're not anything different or anything new, but they're not shit. And it's like, there's a quite a long way you can go with songs not being shit. Like, so yeah, totally. I was like, sack it. Yeah, let's just have a... I was like, you know, we're still young and we, and we can can just about do it so we may as well uh may as well have a go and it worked i guess it's one of them i don't know why it's like we're just sort of we're just sort of trying new things we're just sort of <laughs> trying things here and there seeing what works it's like just uh just trying to get people to hear it we had we had um we had quite a few uh people who were coming to see us like on the tour to potentially do you know like a second run of the album yeah, yeah. and then all that went away and the other day we had um we were, we were waiting on a phone call from somebody who might want to work with us and that didn't happen. And it's all like, and then to top that off, I started getting into low spending stock trading. <laughs> so my flat right now is like fucking Wall Street in the mid eighties. There's just paper flying around everywhere. There's so much stress. I'm like, I'm waiting on fit. I'm waiting on a phone call right now from Nathan McGill. What's going on? What's going on? It's like my stock's tanking. Beyond Meat's tanking. I was going to say it was, I really liked your sentiment of sort of believing in your own music, not in a religious sense, but believing in everything you release is that a sort of thing you've kind of pushed since the start of Aerial Cell because having belief in your own music is kind of the only way you can push forward in a band if you're releasing shit and you don't care about it you're never going to be passionate enough to play live and people are going to see through you is it something that's ever since you started the band that you've been trying to push this belief in everything you do and putting your all into into your songwriting um that's a very good question thank you i think not necessarily when we started we wanted to go play a fest and you know i was young and naive and I, I was just like oh yeah we will go and do it like we've been you know the the guy said send me your music you'll play so we'll play and we did so because of that i believed that really made me think that i wasn't shit yeah. you know because when when we when we very first started the band we were like oh we're not ve- we're not that good we were only kids we were like you know you're like 18 19 aren't you so you're not going to be great unless you're yeah. green day or some other young prodigies so, you know, at first it was more, it, it wasn't about believing in the music or anything like that. It was purely about, we just wanted to play in a band more than anything. We just, what the belief was is that we wanted to play in a band. We didn't really know what that meant. We just wanted to play in a band. That's all we wanted to do. And from seeing Fest and seeing a great example of uh, all all of the bands that were playing were a lot of bands I've seen supporting slightly bigger bands or they were bands that had played smaller venues. Yeah. And I was like, well, hang on a minute, like, all of these bands like spend all year on tour. It's like, and you chat to them and they, all of them are like, oh yeah, it's not my job. And it's like, well, it doesn't really need to be your job, does it? You get f- you fucking tour all the time. Like you are in a, like, that's it. Like, you know, yeah, totally. I think people were, you can get caught up in sometimes in like how big your band is or successful your band is. But once you're just sort of doing it, like once you're playing in a band, you are in a band, do you know what I mean? So at the beginning, it was just about that. But, when we made Roach, I thought those were good songs. I believed in them at the time very much, but then you, you as you, as you grow up, you kind of like ah, I don't know. You sort of move on as an artist a bit, and those the songs I wrote when I, they were, I was so young when I wrote them as well. I've sort of changed quite a lot as a person, so it's quite the the very uh, they feel very juvenile to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But as for this, I don't know. It's quite funny. Um, if you don't believe in the music you're making, um, 
I don't know what the point in it is, is in doing it because it's not a, I don't know. It's just, you do it for yourself, don't you? Like, yeah, totally. I, I believe in these songs because it's like, I know they're not shit. Like, I know they're not shit. They might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I know they're not shit. I personally love them. Like, because they sound like all my favorite bands if they made an album mm-hmm. to me. That's what it's, you know, because it's, again, it's not the most original album in the world. But yeah, you ju- you know, it's just like, I don't know how to describe it. You, you just, I think when you're an artist, you, you know, you like what, you, if you like what you make and you like the music you make, you are going to believe in it. You know, if you can listen to something and genuinely hear other people listening to it and you like, I know there's people who will like this and you've made it for yourself and it sounds how you want it to sound then you there's nothing else you can do but believe in it i think surely it's one of those things where you kind of you're writing the music that not only that you want to make but it's music that you want to hear and if it's music you want to hear other people are going to want to hear it too so you need that belief in there. Yeah, I, I think you don't have a choice. You don't have to instill belief in it. I think sometimes, well, sometimes you do. It's kind of like a football team in a very weird way. We gas each other up a lot. You know, there's there are times where like, you know, when you're playing a band, a lot of things, you know, potential tours or potential deals, things get floated around and there'll be one or two here and there that you'll be like, oh my God, imagine if that happened. Imagine if we get that. Mm-hmm. And you'll get quite drawn into it. And when it doesn't happen, it can be a bit disappointing. But, you know, you, you shake yourselves off after, a, you know, it, you take it as like a little loss. You know, you take it like a, a football team, like you lose. You're like, all right, well, yeah. what are we going to do? Are we going to fucking retire? Or are we going to just shake ourselves off and win the next match? Like, the belief got better <laughs> when we got better as a band. <laughs> when we <laughs> when we were very, very, if you, obviously, like, you've, you've known us since we started, you know, it, it's been yeah. very much like a progression for us. We weren't the best band in the world at all when we started. And for the first two and a half years of the band, when he was drumming, me and Mike would worry about how shit we were going to be. It was hard to believe in it. We loved doing it, but it was it was hard to really think it was going to go anywhere yeah, yeah. because we were shit. Once uh, Matty started playing drums and once we started hearing how we could be, it was totally different. It didn't feel like we were trying to get our songs to sound like they sounded on the album. It started feeling like we were trying to just play the songs. Like the album is the album. Now we we get to play that. And it became less about worrying about because we got like good and we just, we gelled and it re- we really sort of felt like a band. It, we didn't have to worry about messing up and us being shit because we knew we wouldn't be shit now that doesn't mean you're going to be the best band anybody's ever seen but it does mean you're not going to be shit and at that point that's when like it really uh, it was like the end of 2018 when we had our first tour with Matty I remember uh, I just remember saying to Mike uh, halfway through the tour like do you know what Mike, I honestly think we might actually have a chance here. Like, we might actually have a... We, we, I was like, this band... And that this tour as well, right? We nearly died on this tour a couple of times. We had this driver at the beginning of it. He was an absolute worst people I've ever had company with. We didn't know him. He was just driving. We ended up sacking him after three days. He was that much of a horrible prick. We were driving on the Belgian motorway, and he kept going on about how he hates Belgian people, which we thought he was just sort of joking. Like, you know, people might sort of have a little racial drive on a motorway, a bit of blighty, blighty humour. We're like, okay, interesting. No, no, no. He really did hate Belgian people, like a furious, furious racial hate. It wasn't very nice. And this guy, like, undertook him. And you get undertook, it might be a bit annoying. You just think, all right, whatever. 
This driver swings round, undertakes him. This guy in this car then proceeds to try and ram us off the road. Fuck. And I'm not lying. He starts flicking a Stanley knife at us, yeah, as well. Like, I'm going to... He's like, pull over. I'm going to fucking cut you. So we're all just like, fuck this. What's going on? <laughs> right? At the end of that tour, right? So the last gig we played in Europe was Den Bosch. We were staying in Calais in a little, like, motel. And then at four hours sleep, then on the ferry... We had one stopover in Holland where we everybody got out and had a piss. Most of us slept in the van. Pull up to Calais, so we've been driving for three hours. Driver, third driver of the tour, third driver of the tour, third driver of the month-long tour, right? Pulls open the door, and he goes to us, there's somebody in the back of the van. Now, Boothy, who was driving, Boothy's not the kind of character, you know, he was funny, but he wouldn't crack a jaw like that. Yeah. What? And like, you know, we'd been smoking DMT the night before, so we we're all a bit sort of like, what? What, there's someone in the back? And then you hear bang in the back of the transit, and everyone's like, oh, fuck. There's somebody in the back of the transit. Open up the door, and we see a white sports shoe. Immediately, bang, close the door. The all seven of us uh, stood around the van, and we're like, right, what the fuck do we do? The door gets open again slowly, and this guy's like, I want to go to the United Kingdom. I want to go to the United Kingdom. And we're all like, Jesus. what? He's like, please, 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 please take me to the United Kingdom. And we're like, um, nah. All, all of us in unison just went, nah. Nah, you need. Nah, you need. You, you need to go. You need to go. Because, no, uh, like, I told this story in work. People are like, oh, I'd have taken him out and battered him. I'm like, I'm not being funny. If somebody's getting in the back of a transit van, yeah, it's desperation. I'm like, know? I'm like, and the the thing was is like, we kind of had a look because we were like, oh, I just hope he didn't pull anything out when he was getting in. You know, like any merch bags, and like. We had a little look as he, by the way, by the way, when we all said now, nah, he walked off and he walked off like Bart Simpson with sort of just like his head down. <laughs> he just got off and he didn't run. He just walked. He just sort of started. I mean, we took him most of the way and he didn't take anything out of the van or anything. And in fact, he left us a present. He left us a beanie hat. I think Matty's got that somewhere. So we'd had all of these experiences where we nearly died and it'd been quite stressful. But I just remember saying to Mike, I'm like, do you know what? I'm like, we're not shit. Like we're all right. Us. We'll, we'll get better. And then, from there, we just started believing in it, and we were like, we're not shit. We need to, like, get really good now. We need to just get really good. We need to We need to actually... Because you watch some... Right, there's some bands you watch. Like, uh, Pears are a good example. Mm-hmm. Clowns are a good example. Wonk Unit. Pears are one of those bands that blow... Like, I went down to see them in Bristol last year just because I needed to see them again. They're one of those bands that, energy-wise... It doesn't matter what the songs sound like, if you hate the music or love the music. It's the same with like the other bands you mentioned. You watch them and you're just fucking like you're captivated yeah. by the performance. Yeah, exactly. It means something. They believe in every last thing they do, which then projects onto yourself and you walk away. It's it's like going to church. The church of punk rock, you know. Exactly, exactly. There's like there's a few bands, uh Pears, Wonk, Witch Fever, uh three bands where the first time I saw them, it was just moments where you just like you when it's a band where you've kind of like you know they're doing well but you've not really heard of them and then you see them and you're like ah right okay that's why they're yeah. doing well this is sick like they're like they're great that's why they're doing so well like pairs was one of them where the first time someone was like that's why everyone loves this band mm-hmm. and i i love pairs i love their music as well but the first time i saw them i just couldn't believe it i saw them at, at fest actually it was the first time and it was just mental. It was just mental. Wonk Unit, I saw them supporting Teenage Bottle Rocket and I just walked out the biggest Wonk Unit fan. I was like, I couldn't believe how good they were. Clowns are another band like that where you just watch them and you're like, oh, they're just fantastic. And I was like, 
we need to do that, man. We need yeah. to just be great. We just need to be a great band. So that was when uh, practice became less about like actually being able to play the songs and more about like really, really, really just, just, just fucking playing, like just enjoying it. And we found that like the more that we we started enjoying it, and the more we were just you know fucking, we'd we'd find bits of the set that were sloppy, hammer that do it again in practice. And then when you've, you know, pulled off and you've been playing the fucking same bit of a song for three hours, mm-hmm. then you play it and it just sounds great. And even in your shit practice room, it you can hear it all. That's like one of the best feelings you get out of being in a band. That absolutely is one of the best feelings when you've grafted working away for something to not be shit. And then you play it and it's like, right, safe, we've nailed it. That's it then. It doesn't matter if other... It's like one of them things, like, doesn't matter at that point how many people you play in front of either. We, like, we're at that sort of bit now where sometimes we play in front of quite a lot of people, but predominantly we play in front of not a lot of people and sometimes no people. And it just doesn't matter. You play in front of five people and you fucking just so happy to be playing a gig you just it doesn't matter it just literally doesn't matter you're just beaming to be fucking playing again like especially when it's like a venue with good sound and that and you've had a bit of a laugh on the way there it's just it's just fucking funny yeah there's no feeling like it i mean the live show is what you it's, it's the way you expel all the energy it's the way you get the actual kick so it's a completely different experience listening to an album than seeing a band live yeah definitely i think i didn't understand that myself as an artist until we started playing with matty because again i was always so worried about just being shit that I never really you know I would get these days I don't get nervous before gigs I get like incredibly giddy and excited Mm -hmm. it's gone from being like I remember the the like the first time we played rebellion even the second time we played rebellion being a bit sick with nerves being a bit like oh god I hope we're not shit flash forward to like playing boomtown and I'm just like in a complete state of bewilderment at how buzzing I am just like it's it's almost like you've ascended. It's like you 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 go a bit out of body with just the pure excitement of playing. Like it's just it's just fucking great. It's just fucking great. And that is something I miss daily. That I really do miss about lockdown. Yeah. And more than anything, I miss practicing because it all leads to that. Because like there's times it, you'll know this. Like there's times in practice where you're just like, if we play like that at a gig, we're gonna fucking smash it. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, just, totally. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. It's like I think when you when you really just love fucking making music and playing in a band it, do, it doesn't matter where you do it the whole reason about like wanting to make it you know profitable only comes at a point for us where it's like if i can genuinely earn like 14 grand a year playing in a band which can't i'm like i'm and i think about it all the time phil where i'm like we're young enough where i'm sure we can do it it might take years yeah. it might take 10 years but if you we just keep popping away even if only 10 new people every year listen to you you eventually you'll get there. Like, you, you know what I mean? Because rappers all do it. Every fucking grime artist is independent. Like, all of the all the grime artists coming up are independent. They're all smashing it. I'm like, there's got to be a way you can do it. There's got to be a way. And it's like, if you get signed along the way, safe. It's just easier then. You just fucking, it's like, you've, you, you've won the disco then. You know, if you get get picked up by a label along the way, it's just, that's just amazing. That's like the cherry on top of the cake. Do you know what I mean? But, it's like, you just fucking keep fucking going for it. Do you know what I mean, man? You just keep playing, don't you? <laughs> you just keep playing. You just keep playing. I know you started your, you started your own label, Roach Industries, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. How did that come about? Is that a sort of um, natural progression of, you know, you've been putting stuff out and out from Wonk Unit's label. Was it so that you have more control over your own release or not at is all. this something that you want to start 
developing other artists or is it is it just a means to sort of keep it DIY? So the way Alex operates is uh, Alex manager's not the right word for Alex. He's more like a producer. He's more like a full-time producer. Yeah. Um, Because he, he doesn't, at, you know, the beginning, you know, he he got he gets our name around, but he doesn't sort of go and book his gigs and stuff like that. You know, he, he's very much always been about building us a platform so we can operate independently. He, like, when I said about Dirt Mall, he said to do Roach Industries. He was like, basically, he convinced me because I, I didn't think we'd be able to do it because it's expensive. And Alex was like, you know, if you sell 200 albums, everything's paid for. And I was like, well, it's quite a lot of that. But we saw, we, you know, we did, we did do it. And he, yeah, he just gave me the confidence to do it, basically. It's, it's basically, if no one wants us, we'll do, you know, we'll put it out. And yeah. it gives us flexibility because, you know, if a label wanted to do a release of it, like if a label wanted to sort of take a bit of a punt on it and maybe do another pressing and do, because, you know, 500, in the, in the grand scheme of the music industry, no one's heard it. You know, a lot of people have bought it, but no one's, no one's really heard it. So, you know, if a different label wanted to go, oh, all right, we like this. How many did you make? And we say five hundred. They'll be like, ah, sound. We, we, yeah, we'll do a, you know, we, we'll do another run of that. In the same way that if anybody wants it for distro, we can just say, yeah. But yeah, no, it was just pretty much it. Was, it was just Alex's idea. It was funny because Alex did most of the stuff to do with Roach is production, uh, getting it made, getting it sent to Cadiz, getting the album mastered and all that bollocks. Alex did all that. All the artwork he he got sorted out, but uh, this time we did it all. Uh, we did every last bit of it, and the reward of that it was quite it's quite funny because to me making the album I was like the reward of this album is it's going to allow us to tour so much. But what I actually realised when I when I got a copy because I can't listen to it on vinyl, I've not got a vinyl player. But when I just held it and I could fucking look at the cunt, I was like, nah, this is the reward for making it. Yeah. The fact that I fucking that I've got this in my hands. And I can honestly say this sounds exactly how I want it to sound. It looks how I want it to look. Like I, it's one of them things. It's like I think people might think it sounds arrogant, but I, I just think it's I think it's brilliant. And I don't think it's I think it's easy when bands like their own work. It's very easy to say they're arrogant, but to me, arrogance has always been I'm the best. Everybody else needs to know I'm the best. Yeah. Whereas belief and confidence is like. Oh, I think, like, well, I like it. It doesn't really matter. You know, it's like, I think it's great. But that's why you do it. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with being proud of your work and having pride about what you make at the end of the day. It's as you say, like, if you're releasing an album and, and especially it's getting pressed onto record, one of the massive things is when it arrives and you get to open up the box and you hold your own record and you look at it and just like, this is exactly the way I wanted it. Yeah. Like, if, if you make an album and you think it sounds shit and you don't like the songs, what the fuck's the point of making an album? When you when you make an album and it's on record and this is not this is something I didn't realize until we you know made a because we had a CD but when you make a vinyl it's like you've made a little piece of music history because it will sit in someone's gaff for however however many years do you know what I mean it, and it doesn't matter doesn't matter how many people fucking buy it you know the fact that some someone's got it and they'll have it forever and it's there and it's you know it's perishable material but it'll knock around for a few years. And 20, 30 years down the line, somebody might look at it and go, fuck you, no, Ariel Salad, I remember them. Stick it on and, and have a nice, pleasant memory. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's like, that's a fucking good thing, that. And you, this is what the beautiful thing about coming up through the DIY scene is, right? 
is that you learn very quickly that it just once you're doing it, you are doing it. When you put an album out, you've made your album. It's out there. You've made music. It's part of music history. It's part of whatever. It's fine. It's like the importance of it is only relevant to yourself because in the words of Fraser Mackay, wisest of words, these none of it fucking matters. You choose to be in a band. Do you know what I mean? Like no one makes you. You you choose to be in a band, and it doesn't matter. It's go- it it matters to you, and that's what's important. And when it matters to you, it's and it matters to other people. Then it's it, that's like again, it's just like oh, it's just fucking lovely. Do you know what I mean? It's I find it mad that uh, there's people that you know. Obviously, I, I like that you know. I'm proud of the Roach songs, but I'd rather not be playing them. And it's still you know, I still find it mad that people like still ask for us to, you know, we are going to put it on vinyl, but it's still people always asking us to put it on vinyl. It's like, oh, fuck. It's like, oh, no, you know, it's a bit, it, then it's, it's a bit like, oh, no way. <laughs> it's like, it's like people still like that. It's so funny. It's like, you know, it's four years. It's like, you know, it's four years old. I remember, I, I mean, I first met you when you were doing Merch for Wonk Unit. Yes. Years ago, and we spent a couple of nights partying. I think it was over like Beat Your Aim Fest or something like that. And then, uh, obviously put you on a couple of times since then but I remember like after meeting you you sent me the demos for Roach that you had and I remember mm. playing Habits and Problems for the first time and it fucking blew me away man and it's still one of my favourite songs to date it's just so raw the lyrics are just so on point of obviously the, the life getting lived at the moment do you feel like when you you went on from Roach to write Dirt Mall that it was a conscious effort to spend more time on your songwriting you say you're sick of the songs was there a conscious effort to make things maybe not more mature but more exciting and more maybe fulfilling of uh, what your life's like at the moment and and progressing i think the reason i feel weirdly about roach is because of the, the because of the way i write so all the songs that go anywhere are all songs that are written in about five minutes pretty much every song on dirt mall i can't explain it they just come to you you you, you know and it's not like uh oh i just picked up my guitar and it falls out you know you might just be yeah. you'd be playing around on your guitar for like an hour or so you know it, it normally happens when i'm very high i'll just be playing around on my guitar and then you'll just sort of stumble into something and then i'll find a bit of music and then i'll just sing over the top of it and i'll record it and that will just give me what the song's about because i'll just be shooting from the hip do you know what i mean and yeah. roach it's like the lyrics to dunhill's dunhill's success in headspace those lyrics are just the first take in the studio dunhill the lyrics to dunhill's would make like just I'd lived in the studio like it was I knew what the songs were roughly about and I find it hard conveying myself when I write it down so they just the songs just happen what what I did then happens I'll look at what the lyrics are because when you just shoot from the hip obviously your lyrics often end, end up being very similar because you've only got you've only got so many thoughts so you sit down and then you'll sort of think all right how can I say this a bit better from there from that point I'll then go and sit down with Alex and he'll go through so my biggest problem as a songwriter is my uh my phrasing i phrase songs terribly the lyric that i make i make catchy songs so uncatchy by just singing the lyrics in weird places and alex just produces and arranges them in the right way but to reel that back to how he answers the question there was no focus or anything for the songwriting roach is all about a very particular time in my life and dirt mall is as well dirt mall was written in between us touring the most we've toured and it was done while I was temping. Roach was uh, more like full-time employment when the band wasn't what I was doing predominantly. Whereas, And I was 19. Whereas Dirt Mall's like, you know, you're 21. Doing underpaid work that you hate and you, you're you very much part of a negative system. You're going to write about that. And the whole album is just 
me just having a big fucking moan about all the <laughs> it is just me it honestly the whole album's me having a big fucking moan but i'm i'm not that pessimistic like i i am but i had this realization of like a couple years ago i sort of got sort of sorted my shit out and i was like if i'm going to be happy in life i need to make a conscious effort to do it i can't just wait for happiness to come to me and that's what the al- the the album is me effectively listing all the things that are shit yeah. but then going right well these are all the things that are shit i acknowledge these i've just got but i've got to get on with it i've just got to get on with it and try and do what i can and that's that's what the album's about you know and it the you know all the songs are are, are about are, are just about me because i'm very very vain but they are they're just it is just a big moan it's just one massive moan i mean it's a beautiful album though it's a, you should be extremely proud of it it's absolutely great work and the song the song writing i mean i loved roach to bitch but you can you can really tell it's a step up in your songwriting. I really appreciate that. I think I'm just a, a massive part of it is Alex producing it as well. There's this thing right where I tell people about how we work with Alex, and some people say like, "Oh no, I, I couldn't couldn't do that." For me, it's always been if you're quite precious about your music, which I am, you want it to sound its best, and having a third, a very ruthless third opinion is quite good. Because Alex, Alex isn't asked about anything other than it being good. He's not asked about what's going to make it the most appealing. He's just about what's going to make it great. And songs like Dirt Mall, Fever Dream, and State of You in particular, he had a really, really big impact on the way that they came out because the demos to them, like the the music, the the guitar, the bass, the drums, that's all unchanged. He, ne- he never messes with that. But the way that the songs... So- and lyrics, he doesn't really... He's like... He'll offer like, oh, you could put this here. And you're like, ah, yeah, that's a good way. But he'll never ch- he'll never go, oh, no, what you can't write a song about that. He'll just help you get there. It's like stressed. Anybody who knows Alex knows he's sober. He's been sober for years. And if you really know him, you'll know he hates weed, right? Yeah. And stressed, it had a bit of a different chorus... The cut and it was less obvious. It was about. It was obviously about. Again, here's all the things that are shit. I'm just going to get high, and that's going to. That's just going to have to suffice for happiness. That's and that's a a common trend with people in our age, really, isn't it? In our generation. Yeah, yeah. So it was, but it was a bit less. It was just less obvious, and it wasn't as good. And Alex, we'd been working on it for ages, and he was just like, we we got the song finished. He's like, all oh, right, this, oh, great, Jay. You know, this is great. I'm going to go and make a coffee, right? And he goes to stand out of this barn door where we, like, we were recording in his little shed. He goes to stand out and he just stops, right? He starts kind of like going do, 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 like that, like waving his finger around. I felt like I was Luke watching Yoda fucking bring that X-Wing out of the swamp. Seriously, Alex is my hero. Like, And the only way I can describe it is I'd like working with Alex would be like equal to working with like Ian Brown or like Noel yeah. Gallagher or Billy Joe or anybody. Do you know what I mean? It's like absolute, he's, I think he's a songwriting genius and he's just there doing his Jedi mind tricks and then he just goes, right, I've got it. And I go, what? And he goes, the chorus to Stressed is, so you wanna live a life of bliss and then he says the answer is obvious cannabis and i just look at him and he's like what and i'm like when was the last time you had a joint alex i was midway having one myself and alex is like oh you know like 25 years and i'm like all my life i've wanted to write a song 
just something like that. Because I love Cypress Hill. And the reason I love Cypress Hill is because I have one thing in common with him, which is to get high. <laughs> I have I have that in common with Cypress Hill. Me and Be Real, we don't have much else in common, but we've got that right. And I can relate to his lyrics. I can relate to... I, there's something very cathartic about... Because, you know, you, when you smoke weed a lot, you you know, there's a lot of pressure around that. You get a bit worried about, am I smoking too much? You know, is it bad for me? And these are very important things to consider. And you should always be aware of that uh, with cannabis. You should always be aware of how it is affecting your brain you should always be like okay am i still you know the right person i need to be yeah but it is very cathartic hearing people sing about how great it is there was no like i need to be a better songwriter but the they are better so i do i absolutely think the better songs like have you seen martin Bashir's living with michael jackson no right okay no, well martin Bashir goes and lives with michael jackson in the early noughties and you need to watch this documentary it's one of the best documentaries ever so michael jackson well-renowned pedophile unfortunately summarizes my songwriting process in the perfect words which is you know i can sit down and try and write the greatest song ever and i can spend all day just writing and writing and it'll just be awful but the best songs they just come to me out of thin air but michael jackson also (laughs) michael jackson also in this documentary has a has his giving tree so michael jackson's like telling martin bashir he's like sometimes when i need inspiration i go and sit on my giving tree and martin bashir's like michael what's your giving tree and michael (laughs) goes to this big tree in his garden perches on it like an owl and he's just like i wrote man on the mirror up on this tree and i'm like (laughs) and you're like do you know what's funny do you know what's funny right you watch that documentary and you're just like how did why how, like, why wasn't he in jail? What magic power did Johnny Cochran possess in those courts? Honestly, mate, honestly, it's very distressing. And it's distressing because I grew up liking Michael Jackson quite so much. So I feel so betrayed. I felt when I, when I seen that, oh, mate, honestly, you need to watch that documentary. It's, it's, wor- it's distressing, but it's like, it's, it's just fascinating. I think that's the perfect, perfect way to finish up. Lovely. Well, thanks for Jamie for coming on the show. Uh, Again, hope you enjoyed the show. That was an amazing podcast. Please like, share, follow, review, uh, donate to the PayPal link if you wish to help me get some new recording equipment. That would be really awesome. See you next week. Thank you. (laughs) 